Welcome to Grace Wave Baptist Church. This is a Sunday school lesson that we're going to present on July the 4th of 2021. And um, I'm honored that you are tuning in. It's a blessing to be able to speak to you and to share these words of uh, truth. Hopefully they are helpful and encouraging to you and maybe answer a few questions that you have or teach you something you didn't know or there's great value also in just being reminded of what we already know and stirring up those memories and sharpening our focus on these things. We're doing the New City Catechism, so we're asking questions and giving answers in all of this. And our question for the day is, why was it necessary for Christ the Redeemer to die? Um, I think that's the kind of question that at first glance, most of us would probably go, well, yeah, it was, but we don't really think about why, and we don't really think maybe deeply enough, because there are all kinds of controversies and all kinds of theories and all kinds of falsehoods about the death of Christ. So let me give you a warning. Just because someone says they believe in Jesus does not necessarily mean that they are saved people because there are a lot of cults that believe in Jesus. And just because they talk about the death of Jesus uh, for salvation doesn't mean that they are rightly understanding or believing what the Bible teaches about the death of Christ or the atonement, as we would call it. And so it would do us well to think about it just a little bit. So why was it necessary for Christ the Redeemer to die? And the answer that they give is, since death is the punishment for sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By his substitutionary atoning death, he alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. Long answer, isn't it? But yet it is so absolutely true. And we base this, of course, not on just somebody's theology, because that could be wrong. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, has a theology, but it's dead wrong. Other cults and other groups have theologies that are dead wrong. We want to be right, and the way that we find out whether we are right or not is by looking at Scripture, not just a verse or two, but comparing Scripture to Scripture so that it all harmonizes together. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So how do we get to where we can have a right standing with God, in particular at the time of our death when we stand before him, either as a savior welcoming us into the presence and the kingdom of God or standing before him as judge 
where we will be banished into eternal hell in the lake of fire. How do we, how do we come to the right place and the right idea about all of this? Well, Paul makes it clear here that it is through the death of Christ, through the shedding of his blood, that we are made holy, righteous, and blameless before God. And that's why we can have security. We call it the security of the believer. Uh, some call it the eternal perseverance of the saints, whatever you want to call it. It uh, comes down to this. If Christ has washed us clean from our sin, then we have a right standing before God, period. That's the only way we can get it. It's not by our works. It's not by our performance. It's not by our keeping of rules. It is by the death of Jesus Christ that the book of Hebrews says was offered once for all for us, permanent and efficient. Now, what I wanted to share today in this lesson, uh, because I think that there are people who have a hard time believing that anybody can misunderstand, misinterpret uh, the death of Christ, that whatever you may be and whoever you may be, as long as you think about that, what is there to really uh, disagree on? The fact is, Jesus died. But some people have some strange ideas. Over uh, 2,000 years of church history, there have been various theories. Some of them have been promoted by uh, godless false teachers. Some of them have been promoted by well-meaning but wrong true believers. And uh, where, where do these things come from? Well, if you are talking about a cult, then you're certainly talking about something that is just merely demonic. For example, going back to Joseph Smith, he claims that he had an angel visit him and tell him um, in answer to the question, what church should I join? And he was told, none of them, they're all wrong. And then the angel gave him a whole new theology, a whole new idea. And you'll find this kind of stuff at the basis of every cult. They either overemphasize the humanity of Christ, making him just a man, or they overemphasize the deity of Christ, taking away his humanity. The Gnostics in the, New the early New Testament church uh, did that. Jesus is nothing but a phantom, a ghost, a spirit, and he really he only appeared to be in bodily form. And you find those two extremes, as people emphasize those, it leads him into all sorts of error. And it is demonically inspired. Paul talked about doctrines of demons. Well, that certainly would fit. But there are some others by some well-meaning people who just didn't have a clear understanding. Now, let's go back and let's think about this. Some of the things that are in the Bible are not inherently clear at first glance. For example, the doctrine of the Trinity. It's nowhere found in the scripture in those words. Did you hear me? In those words. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. So why do we believe that there's one God in three persons? Well, we do that because as we look through the scripture, we find the reference, of course, to God the Father, 
And then we find references to Jesus Christ being God. We've talked about that. And then we even find, for example, I believe it's in Acts chapter 5, where Ananias and Sapphira lied about the offering that they brought to the Lord. And Peter said, you've not lied to men, but to God. And then he also says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, a clear reference to the Holy Spirit being God. Now, how long would it take for you if you had no other information to figure out the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal in nature and attributes, God in three persons? I think it would take me a while. And in the early part of the church, you have to remember they didn't have the completed revelation of Scripture. When Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, that's probably all they had at the church at Corinth. When you are talking about the early days of the church, the Old Testament was available, and some letters from apostles were available, but uh, it was a while before they had it all. Now let's also think about during that time, even after they received all of it, all 66 books, what were they doing? Running for their lives, being thrown to lions, being imprisoned, all of those kind of things because Christianity was illegal and was heavily and hotly persecuted, especially under Nero. And so whenever Constantine brought... Um, Christianity to legality in the Roman Empire and made it the um, official religion of Rome, now you've got some respite. Now you can actually have councils getting together without fear of persecution or retribution, and they can sit and they can discuss these things. Who is God? What is the nature of the atonement? Those kinds of things. And through all of those, a lot of heresy was exposed and condemned. But more than that, Orthodox Christianity, true doctrine, was set down and it was codified. It was written down and put in books. And people have been studying it, talking about it, debating it um, ever since. And so some of those early people had some things right and something's wrong. Some of the theories of the atonement that we'll talk about, we're not going to cover all of them, but the first one is simply this, and you'll find this is kind of common today among liberals and liberal denominations and others, and they said this, Jesus was merely an example. Now, was he an example? Of course he was. But I put the word merely in there to emphasize what they really believe because they don't really see Jesus as being God and dying in our place as the substitute taking upon the wrath of God. They just see it as Jesus' love. Now, is Jesus loving? Absolutely. Does the Bible say that God is love? Yes. Does John 3.16 say that the reason that Christ gave himself is because of love? It certainly does. But that's not the whole picture, and that's not the whole story. You see, these people 
Um, Socinius was the uh, leader of this group back in the um, early church. They believed that he was merely a human. He was just a man, not God. And while he was here on earth, he was here and God used him. But God was using him to show us how we should live and how we should be willing to die for what we believe. They would see Jesus as a victim. They would see him as merely a martyr, a guy who came and told people the truth and they didn't like it. And so they um, persecuted him until they finally put him on a cross. And in their view and in their mind, the cross did nothing except to show us what love is like when Jesus, the mere human, died for what he believed and died for what he was teaching us. And uh, we need to learn from that and we need to be more like that. They said that he showed us how to fulfill Micah 6, 8. Remember that? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? <clears throat> they say Jesus did that, but that's really all he did. And when he died on the cross, he was showing us how we ought to be willing to pay the supreme price for what we believe. We ought to be willing to go to prison. We ought to be willing to suffer rejection. We ought to be willing to die if that is what is called for. Now, is that true? To some extent, yeah, that is true. Jesus did show us that, and we certainly should be that committed. We're to be faithful unto death. But I think where I would contend with that, and the Bible contends with that, is, is that all Jesus was saying? Is that really the full extent of the atonement? Jesus was an example. Jesus was showing us what true love does. And I think that falls far short <coughs> of what the Bible teaches. The idea here is that humans can live up to God's um, holiness and all they need is a little help, a little boost. Do you remember when you were a kid and maybe you were climbing a tree, climbing over a fence, and maybe you had somebody that was a little older than you and they would do this with their hands and they say, let me give you a boost. And you put your foot in their hands and they would help you get up and over. This view by Socinius kind of has the idea that humans are not all that bad and they are capable of doing what they ought to do. They just need a little help and they need an example to follow. They need a boost, in other words, which uh, patently denies the doctrine of total depravity, doesn't it? Total inability to please God. And so um, with this idea, you see how it really magnifies humans and makes us more than what we really are. And it pulls down Christ and makes him less than who he really is. Very dangerous thing. Let's look at a second one. And this one uh, kind of is like the first one. But it says that Jesus was only demonstrating love. And the idea there is that uh, the sacrificial aspect of Christ, offering himself, suffering the wrath of God, 
shedding his blood for the remission of sins is nowhere to be found in this particular teaching. And similarly, just like the first one, it's more the idea that Jesus is displaying something that is beautiful, displaying something that is wonderful, and we don't deny that, and displaying love in a way that humanity has never seen before. Well, I don't dispute that. There's a song that was popular when I was a kid that said what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And the truth of the matter is the world had love, perfect love, the love of God. And what did they do? They nailed it to a cross. They said, away with him, let him be crucified. We will not have this man to be king over us. So when you think about that, if that's all Jesus was doing, then he was quite a failure, wasn't he? In fact, we look at the world that we live in now and we see this world filled with hatred and bitterness, racial prejudice and bias, corruption, all kinds of things like that. What, what was the point? Now, maybe there are some of us who kind of get it and we do a little bit better, but um, this theory of Jesus just showing love falls far short of what the Bible teaches, and it falls short of what it is that we really need. So it downplays the sacrificial aspect, and um, it kind of gives the idea that humanity's real problem is we just don't know. We're just ignorant. And if we could just convince people that how much Jesus loves them and how great and wonderful his love is, if we could just do that, that they would respond. Have you ever heard somebody witness and all they do is talk about the love of Christ? They talk about the love of God. They don't really talk about sin. They don't really define what sin is. And they don't really talk about God, his law, his holiness, and how we have violated that and how we are destined for hell because of that. And this is uh, kind of what is the outgrowth of this particular theory and movement. Just tell them about love. Win them over with the love of God. Win them over and convince them. And when they find out how much God loves them, and that was shown by Jesus on the cross, then how can they help but come to faith in Christ? Well, there are aspects of that that is true. But uh, this minimizes God's wrath. The Bible says he's angry with sinners every day in the Psalms. It minimizes his justice. God is going to have the last word, and sin and sinners are going to be punished and put in their place. It minimizes his holiness. The fact that we have offended God and the fact that we have committed treason against him is nowhere to be found in this particular theory. His holiness is just set on the back burner and uh, his righteousness certainly is downplayed. You don't really see the full nature of God. You don't really see 
The, uh, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Well, there's none of that in here. It's just love, 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 love. It doesn't give the true picture. That's another theory of the atonement. And then the third one, Jesus died to pay off the devil. Jesus paid off the devil. That's why he came, and that's why he died on the cross. Paul Harvey, uh, every year, used to tell a story, I think perhaps at Easter, maybe on Good Friday, and he tells the story of a little boy who had a bunch of birds, worthless sparrows, in a cage. And a, a businessman looked at him and said, son, why do you have all those birds? And the boy said, because I caught them and they're mine. Well, what are you going to do with them, little boy? I'm going to take them out and I'm going to kill them. Well, this man was kind of bothered by all of that. And he said, why don't you let me have them and I'll set them free so that they can live. And the little boy says, no, they're mine. I'm going to do what I want to with them. And then the man said, what if I gave you $10 for those birds? And the boy, in his greed and love for money, says, you got a deal. And so he gives the cage to the man, and he takes the money. And the man goes out, and then he sets the birds free. And Mr. Harvey was saying, that's what Jesus did for us when he paid the price for our sins. And uh, this whole idea of doing that sounds good, but it's not what the Bible teaches. This uh, particular theory and idea about the atonement of Christ, um, it, um, get to the right place here, it tells us that we were held captive by the devil. I don't dispute that. The Bible says that when we get saved, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So, of course, some of this is true but it doesn't give, again, the full picture. And it says that when we were under the captivity of the devil, that God is too much of a gentleman to actually take us out by force. So what's he going to do? That'd be like the man coming up to the little boy and stealing the cage or something. God is uh, not going to do anything like that, so he's not going to steal humanity. And so he made a proposal to the devil. You give me these humans, and I'll give you the life of my son, Jesus Christ. And what it uh, teaches here is that the devil greedily and quickly took the deal. And um, as he took it, he didn't really have full understanding of what he was doing. He did it so fast so quickly and so greedily that he didn't see everything that was happening or understand it. He just thought he was going to get the ultimate, the death of Jesus Christ. Now, according to this theory, what he didn't know is that Jesus was God in flesh. <clears throat> All he saw was the flesh. And so he was delighted to put Jesus to death. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as he did that, what happened? Well, Jesus is raised from the dead. 
<clears throat> and the devil was totally and completely defeated. Let me try this again. And the devil didn't realize that because the deity, listen carefully, the deity of Christ was hidden behind his flesh. In other words, God made a deal with the devil and then God deceived the devil. He tricked him through the deity and the humanity of Christ so that now the devil comes up as the big loser and our sins are paid for because Christ paid a ransom to the devil for us. Now, when I read the Bible, and when you read the Bible, do you ever see anything where God made a deal with the devil in order to save us? Do you see anything that shows and indicates that when Jesus died, he was not paying for our sins to a holy God, but he was actually paying off the devil and then cheating the devil, tricking the devil. Uh, such a weird, weird, weird thing to think about. And so uh, atonement was not primarily directed at humanity or the demand of the Father or the Word of God. It was all directed toward the devil. And so we certainly reject all of that. So what is the true teaching on humanity? Now, there are four words that uh, we need to think about. And the first one is the word sacrifice. Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament sacrifices. Those sacrifices could do nothing for us, but they pointed to the sacrifice of Christ. And so those Old Testament saints would offer the sacrifices and they would do it believing by faith that God was going to forgive their sins. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, and every priest stands daily and he is continually doing his service, right? And remember that he would do that every single day and certain things once a year. But the Bible goes on to tell us in these verses that Christ did something amazing because the sacrifices could never take away sins. But it says, when Christ was offered for uh, once for all time, this single sacrifice for sin is totally sufficient and it is what brings us and makes us right with God. You can't ignore the sacrificial part of the death of Jesus Christ. The second word is propitiation. Propitiation. And what happens is it says the word propitiation means that Jesus Christ satisfied God the Father's righteous demands for us as we find in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Propitiation for our sins. And it goes on to say not only ours, but for the world's. Now, don't take that to mean that Christ propitiated or paid for or satisfied the Father for every individual sin. That term for the world is meaning humanity. It's meaning that he paid for sins of people like you and like me. The uh, propitiation of Christ is powerful 
and sufficient to work in everybody's life all over the world, all who have ever and all who ever will live. But it's efficient only as it's applied to the elect. The next word that we find when we think about God being satisfied and his wrath turned away from us is the word substitution. And um, we find that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And that's the wonderful verse that says, For our sake, he made him who knew no sin become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And so um, what was happening is, God in his justice and holiness says, sin must be and will be punished. And Jesus said, in effect, I'll take the punishment for everyone who believes in me. He is the substitute for us. And it's not just that, you know, we should have died on the cross. It's more the idea of we should have suffered the wrath of God. This is also found in Isaiah 53, all through uh, that passage there. He did that for us, in our place, for us. Very important to understand that. And then reconciliation is the last word, and that is Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And when we think about reconciliation, think about what Adam lost whenever he sinned. And think about what Christ has gained for us. We're reconciled to God. And as ambassadors for Christ, even, Paul says in another place, that's our message. Be reconciled to God. You're a stranger. You're alienated now. But through Christ, you can come back. Through Christ, you can come home. Through Christ, you can have peace with God. So the idea of being reconciled with God and being reconciled with one another is so very important. And so these theories and these ideas that say Christ was somehow less than he really was, and humanity is more than it really is, must be rejected because we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But it's God in his grace and mercy that has made us alive. And he did that through the death on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, who did all of these wonderful things for us and more than we can even understand. So as you think about all of that, rejoice in the fact that you're saved and remember the fact that you're saved not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did so perfectly for you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for watching this or listening to this as the case may be. And we'll look forward to being together in Sunday school on July 4th. And uh, we will also, uh, for those of you who weren't able to make it, We'll rejoice with you as you uh, catch up with us and stay up with us in our Sunday school program. God bless you. Thank you.